Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Adam Brandon, and today we have a full house with Austin, Simon, Freddie and Tom all joining me on the show. Um, on this week's episode, we'll look at the four sides that made it through to the group stage and we'll look forward to the group stages which kick off next week. First, let's introduce the other members of this South American Football Show 5 side team. First, I'll come to Tom, who's been a trooper tonight, staying up past his bedtime, 2.30am <laughs> in the morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good. I uh, had, a, had a nice day um, in the illustrious city, city of Norwich. Uh, you know, a great footballing Mecca. Cr- or cradle of football, Mecca, rather. I think, uh... Yeah, Mecca, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, but, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to go... Uh, changing my allegiances uh, even though i hear that's quite popular these days uh, yeah indeed um and simon how are you doing over there in medellin made any miracles yeah this good <laughs> no i'm slogging my way through the colombian driving test suddenly they've decided that giving a license to every single person in the country uh, isn't a good idea uh, and instead they're making me sit through two weeks of theory um where everyone's just asleep and the the instructor has no idea what he's talking about so that's fun it's um it's a challenge gives me gives me three hours each morning at 6 a.m to do other things on my computer uh, while someone's talking at the front so yeah good eventually i'll have a driving license in colombia i mean i can already drive but you know why not let's have some fun we also have our man in the andes freddie how are you yeah doing good thank you adam uh it's also a little bit past my bedtime actually i'm regularly in at 10 these days i spend my uh, spent my day writing about William and what a player, by the way. Honestly, I had no idea, but doing the background research on that guy, he is always is always absolute class when called upon, and I really hope he gets to have some minutes at the World Cup because really great player. And you know, like I think one of you said before, one of the only likable people at Chelsea. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think that was probably me. And um, finally. We have our Brazilian football expert, Mr. Austin Miller. Yeah, although maybe I'm maybe I'm branching out a little bit because as we speak, I'm watching the figure skating at the Winter Olympics as well. So I don't know if ever we become the World Figure Skating Index, we could make it a start. I don't know. Just put that idea, table it. We'll see if we get to it at some point. Okay. Well, I think there's only one place to start this week, and that was the incredible match in Sucre, Bolivia, where Hoy Wilsterman almost completed one of the greatest comebacks in Libertadores history, having, of course, suffered one, uh, one of the most embarrassing ones, uh, last year in the competition. Freddie, you were there. Tell us more. Blimey. So, I mean, it was really one of those cases of 4-0 down almost didn't bother. I was just thinking, I mean, this altitude thing must be a myth. There's no way. There's no way it's going to have that much of an effect. And then you go down, and then I think seven minutes in, it's 2-0 already, and you start to think, well, here we go. It, the myths are, the myths are true and so it really was and seeing Eddie because also you guys have kind of created this mythos around him and um, I had uh, come to the group a little later than that and actually seeing him score twice uh, really incredible now you understand now you understand the love for King Eddie I now I see fully signed up member <laughs> Exactly. So it was really a case of just thinking. Well, I don't think many fans of it. There was less, less, less Wilsterman fans than last time. Obviously, I don't think I saw any Brazilians there. Um, maybe he's caught some on the telly. 
but it was pretty pretty unbelievable where and all the neutrals really getting in behind it they kind of understood what was at stake and then it was three nil on 17 minutes and then you're thinking okay it's only a matter of time now there's going to be a fourth and i really think that wilsterman kind of got caught up and couldn't quite believe what was happening just 20 minutes into the game and then there was a little bit of downtime and then i think for the next 70 minutes or so i can't remember quite how long it was until the fourth goal they're kind of tripping over their own hype couldn't quite believe that they could pull this off and then the fourth goal came and then you go to penalties and then absolutely inevitable that they would bottle it because I think when you're playing when you have a team like Basket Agama playing at that altitude the penalties is maybe the best way to show you who is actually the better footballing side because their penalties were so much better. And Wilson were just all over the place. Really poor, I thought. Really poor shootout, given the effort they just put in. And then a uh, hilarious red card as well. Game had everything, throwing the ball at his head. And then there was also just a number of missed opportunities. Really, really good game to watch. And absolutely gutted they didn't make it through. But Vasco de Gama deserved it. And it's, you kind of have to give it to him for that. Yeah, I think it was the... Uh, the Brazilian defender, Alex Silva. But he had an unbelievable chance right at the end of this game to make it 5 0. Yeah. And then he yeah. was also the guy who missed the fatal penalty in the yeah. shootout. I mean, it's just, it kind of was just made for that kind of narrative. It was almost fairy tale like. And then also, all four goals were headers. Just another like quirk to that match that made this such an exciting tie. Because really, I- I mean, we had said before, after losing 4-0 in the first leg, it really looked like just one to kind of the the biggest or biggest shame of the first round of um, third playoff first legs. And then it turned out to be just everything and more. And whilst other games, I think, because a few of the other ties are a little bit disappointing. Um, and then this one turned out to be the the best of the lot. And, you know, it really showed the Champions League what a couple of Bertidores had to offer. Adam, I'm personally gutted because I spent the second playoff round predicting that every single tie was going to go to penalties, it felt like. <laughs> and then the one that was least likely to go to penalties is the one that yeah. finally goes to penalties. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, we never saw it coming, did we? Especially the fact that Vasco hadn't even conceded a goal until uh, last night. is uh, it's, it's incredible <laughs> to me. But, you know, the altitude really... The attitude really did affect those Vasco da Gama players. They just seemed unrecognisable to me. And it doesn't surprise me that it was the first 20 minutes that they really struggled because it was. I, because the thing is, so I don't. I arrived just on time. Did you guys? Did, and the the match I went to see Wilstermann play two weeks ago against Lorenzo Petrolero, they didn't. They don't warm up beforehand. There's no on the pitch action, and I, I feel as though. Um, the same happened yesterday, perhaps, where there's no time spent on the pitch kind of getting a run on, you know, seeing how they're doing. And I think they're just absolutely shell-shocked by it once they got out there. Yeah, so the plan with altitude for the majority of the Brazilian teams of late has been to try to minimize the effect as much as possible by not going to the altitude at all beforehand. And so Vasco, like most big Brazilian teams, when they go and play at side at altitude stayed at sea level or, or close to sea level and then you know four hours before the match they'll leave they'll get in they'll bus straight to the stadium they'll change they'll play and then they'll get out uh, apparently there's some sort of science that altitude needs you know six to eight hours to take effect 
I don't know if I buy that or whatever it is. But so the plan is that these teams try to get out of the altitude as much as possible because they can't acclimate to it in the time necessary. So that's what Vasco did. Uh, we've seen a number of teams do that recently, um, and it hasn't been particularly successful because I, I agree with you guys. It just looked like Vasco had absolutely no idea how to handle it. Yeah, I think it's six to eight hours for it to take maximum effect. And I think some teams that have even taken Viagra before the matches, as that's meant to help with altitude. Yeah, as the Argentinian side in February last year, I think, um, when they went to, or the year before, because Argentina, Argentina obviously just always lose um, when they go to the Andes, it seems, or never do very well. And they were the ones who tried that. Um, I know that in like the 1930s, teams would arrive sort of six weeks before a match. And there were like reports of teams just arriving so far beyond. But I've read um, on sort of science blogs that really, to, for no effects, it needs to be two months and then you're fine. But uh, no one's going to have that kind of time. So, yeah, that's why they've been trying to arrive straight before. Some teams go to, I know that when they go to, to Bolivia, some teams go to Santa Cruz beforehand, and then they stay in Santa Cruz the night before, and then they pop up to La Paz, and then quickly go back down and try that, try and try and make that work, but that doesn't work. And so, I don't really think there's an answer to it. Just plenty of oxygen tanks, I think, is the other is the other solution. Just yes. take on lots Basically. of oxygen just before the game and at half time, and then again at full time. Okay, Simon, you also caught this one. You must you must have been proud of your man. Yeah, no, it was great to see uh, Zendeno having such a good game. And, and honestly, I was really impressed by Wilsterman. Um, Serginho in particular, uh, a Brazilian, very, very pacey, uh, kind of attacking midfield forward player. Really, just he could just beat players at will. The, the lead that Wilsterman took so early, I think within after 45, 50 minutes, they saw how tired Vasco were and they were showboating. And it's like, wow, I mean, get the job done. So it was really, in a way, frustrating that they, they couldn't get their goal because it seemed so easy for them at times. Every time they put the ball into the box, they they, they were going to score. They could beat men for fun. Um, it was, you know, they were very dominant in the game. So in a way, I was frustrated, especially with the last 10 minutes. Uh, down to 10 men, Vasco for throwing the ball at one of the Wilsterman players. And then Wilsterman were kind of seeing it out to penalties and I was just feeling no don't do that this is your chance you're never going to have a better opportunity to to get a win over a big Brazilian side and secure your place at the Libertadores you know go for it keep keep playing um and it was a bit lapsadaisical in the last few minutes but an amazing performance incredible um you know Vasco defense and midfield was kind of non-existent for periods in the game and, and Wilson really took it to them um they looked classy you know it wasn't just the altitude they also moved the ball well, they played well. I mean, obviously, a lack of oxygen <laughs> to the brain is going to you know, limit your ability to, to impact on the game. And you could clearly see that from Vasco. But yeah, very impressed by Wilsterman. But I was just frustrated they couldn't finish the job. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, a very exciting game. Disappointing that they couldn't get it done in the penalties. But I, I think they should have finished off a little bit earlier because I definitely think they had the opportunity to do that. And Tom... Do you have any final thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo the the thoughts of Simon. Really, uh, Sergino was impressive. I think he got uh, all four assists as well. So uh, definitely a bit gutted for him to to go out um, after having put in such a good performance. Obviously, King Eddie, the hero that the Libertadores deserves, but maybe the one they don't need right now. So 
I'm hoping he'll pop up in a in another guys in in a few years or something like that. It'd be it'd be a shame if this was the last time. But w- what a way to to go out all guns blazing. Um, but to be fair, he did also put out Tanke Freitas, and I would I would like to see more of Paulinho. So I think that kind of balances it out. And even though Vasco might be the better side, I think for all their youthful talent, that sort of inexperience was was shown up um, in, in 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 a big way. So. I think that makes the group stage even more interesting, which I'm sure we'll go on to later. But they hadn't really been tested up till now. And this was a, a really big test. And they kind of mucked it up big time. Obviously, the altitude's a huge issue. But I think Vasco, after you know waltzing through against uh, Concepcion and, and looking great in the first leg, maybe they're not quite as uh, as strong as the impression they'd, uh, they'd given. So interesting, interesting game. And... I can't believe that I just made the, the rookie mistake of, of writing this one off. I don't know about anybody else, but I think I can imagine uh, King Eddie Zendeno on the touchline, maybe in, a, in just a couple of years' time, in a tight-fitting suit, shouting instructions to to an Jorge Wilstermann team, maybe making another epic comeback in the altitude. Of Bolivia. Hey, hey, they drop into the Copa Sulamericana, and you never know what can happen there. So I'm not going to count them out yet. Indeed. Um, okay, let's move on. I'll, I'll come back to you, Tom, because um, you watched this one, uh, and it was a match in Montevideo between Nacional and Banfield. And the Uruguayans made sure of their place in the group stages with a 1 0 win to take them through 3 2 on aggregate. Tell us more. Yeah, well, after week's last week's goal fest, it kind of returned to to usual service as Nacional saw out there another one nil win. I think that's the third of the tournament and in four games already. So, I think this was much more representative of your, your typical Nacional game. Um, and realistically, with those two away goals from the first leg, you kind of always felt it was was in the Uruguayans' hands. Um, you know, they got their goal very late on from Zunino um, in injury time when Banfield were pushing for that that goal that would have taken them through um you know it was quite a good finish um but you know there were there were hardly any defenders around and, and the keeper didn't even really dive for it so that was that was that and uh, if anything banfield out nacional nacional with uh, with two late red cards so yeah it was it wasn't the most interesting game from a from a neutral's perspective but there were some there were some narratives in there the the biggest being the return of, of uh, diego polenta Who's uh, the captain of Nacional? Very talented defender in his younger days, impressed for the under twenties, and was over in Italy and, and didn't quite make it out there. But is is definitely one of the the better players in the Nacional team. Uh, but in the summer, there'd been a lot of talk about him leaving for Europe um, and some ill discipline on the pitch. I think he got a red card against Peñarol and was actually suspended for the first three games of this competition, um, which has kind of done his national team. Uh, chances a bit of a, a bit of a blow, so there was a massive gamble for the the new manager Alexander Medina. Do you want to bring in undoubtedly one of your better players who's who's probably going to improve the squad, but at the same time might might get sent off. You know he's a, he's a bit hot headed. So in the end, he he brought him in at left back because then sort of cent- central defensive partnerships been working quite quite well, and yeah he he did well. Obviously picked up a yellow. That's just what he does, but. I think they looked a lot better in defence and, and you can kind of see that from the scoreline as well. Having said that, Banfield did have a, a couple of good chances. I think there was one on about, 
after about half an hour, Svitinic, um, I think, had a, had a chance to turn it in from close range, um, but couldn't quite manage it. And then early in the second half, there was, there was a brilliant double save from Conde, uh, free kick sort of under the wall, was was well saved. And then he set, made himself really big to to block the rebound. So it could have quite easily gone Banfield's way, but you always got the feeling that Nacional were comfortable and, again, it might not be that they really impressed in this leg, but but you feel the better team has probably got through here, and and yeah, I, th- I think they could be. I think they could be tough to break down. They've got they've got some good little players like Della Pena and Biudes, and I really like um, Christian Oliva in the centre of midfield. He's he's been something of a revelation. Um, him and Santiago Romero is a nice little double pivot at the base of midfield, and and Oliva is someone who's I don't think he's really ever played for Nacional before but he's he's come in ahead of a lot of experienced players and and look quite impressive so so yeah but uh, Nacional sort of always is going to be a tough team to beat and and they and they carry on okay next we go to Bogota in Colombia where Santa Fe sealed a comfortable victory over Santiago Wanderers I had a little bit of hope for Wanderers even heading into the second leg of this tie, that hope was horribly misplaced as they were blown apart in in the in the second leg once again by the pace of Anderson Plata and the finishing of Wilson Morello. Uh, Morello was on loan at Santiago Wanderers' his, uh, rivals, Everton, the Vinia del Mar uh, last year. So. The fact that he managed four goals in the t- across the two games, um, two in each in this tie, certainly made their exit that little bit more painful. Yeah, it was it was three 0 on the night, five one on aggregate, and from a Chilean perspective, there's really not that much to say because it was such a disappointing qualification stage again with Universidad de Concepcion getting hammered by Vasco, and now Wanderers getting hammered by Santa Fe. And once again, there's only two Chilean sides in the group stages. Simon, you must be happy that both Colombian teams made it through this year after the failure of last year. And um, and Santa Fe perhaps have a little bit more to offer than they ha- than they did last year in the competition, though. No? Yeah, I think so. I mean, with Santa Fe, uh, they have a certain way of playing. Um, but again, that can only really be effective if they have that danger on the counter-attack, if they they have a few options, you know, to hurt the opposition. Um, last year, you know, not so much. But this year, I mean, they've got a bit of a 4-3-3 going, um, which is pretty effective. I mean, it's, you know, Anderson Platt, as you mentioned, is excellent. Very, very quick. Uh, really dangerous on, on one wing. Badoy is a little bit less cultured on the ball. He's a little bit one-dimensional. But again, he's very, very quick. Morello has scored six goals so far in the tournament. Top goal scorer. So there's, there's some good things. I mean, in... In terms of Santiago Wanderers, again, for the Chileans, it was they, they had some good possession. They looked OK on the ball, but it was so easy to score against them. This was the problem. The first goal was a, an absolute shambles, uh, you know, deflected through. Morelos rounded the keeper. Again, the second goal, uh, it was a cross into the box, but it was wide open. Very few defenders back there. You know, Santa Fe could have had another one. The goalkeeper probably should have been sent off. They rounded the keeper and he took him out and got a yellow card. Hit the bar, Badoy missed a one-on-one. Um, we sent it 50 foot up in the air. Um, a really awful finish. But I think with Santa Fe, 
they still have a few questions in defence. I think the defence isn't quite there. They have Valencia, who I don't like very much at fullback, uh, much better going forward than defensively. But I think if they can get that that core, the defence solid, the midfields are quite disciplined. It's an experienced team, all kind of peak peak ages, good levels of fitness, and then they have that real pace out wide and a decent finisher up front. You know, there's not a great deal of quality in the side, but if you have a good plan and commitment, and you, you know, and the team is all working together then a good plan in the Libertadores can get you quite far. And I think Santa Fe could surprise some people. They're going to be inferior, technically. They're not going to have much possession in many games. But with Anderson Plata, you always have to be careful. You know, Many teams in the Libertadores have attacking fullbacks. Plata's going to get behind them over and over again on the counter, on the on the wing. Uh, Morelos' movement's good up front. And, you know, I think, I think that'd be okay. Um, and, you know, what we said about boring Santa Fe, they've scored loads of goals. <laughs> so... Some definite positives, even if the quality overall isn't great in the squad. And Simon, I'll come straight back to you as tonight we saw Junior Silver uh, place in the group stages. Um, it was a very dull nil-nil away to Guarani um, in Paraguay. But the one-nil win in Barraquilla in the first leg proved enough in the end. You know, I did have my concerns after the first leg that it was kind of a missed opportunity for Junior because they were very much dominant at home. I wasn't particularly impressed with Guarani, um, although they did make a few chances on the counter and they did look fairly dangerous at times. Junior play some really nice football. Um, they kind of sat with a 4-2-4 at times um, with two defensive midfielders or mixed midfielders doing a lot of the work, allowing Johnny Gonzalez, Jimmy Inchara and Teofilo Gutierrez to play behind the striker. Um, so I was very impressed by some aspects of the game, but... You know, not a great deal happened, really. I know Austin wasn't a big fan. Um, one player who did stand out was Cantillo in the middle of uh, Junior. Um, as I mentioned, they have two players who have a lot of a lot of work to do. Uh, Johnny Gonzalez tracks back on the wing. Uh, Chara does a decent decent job tracking back, but often the midfield pairing in, in the centre are quite exposed, having to do the defensive work, receiving the ball quite isolated, having to look to try and work it forward. Uh, to get it forward to those to those creative attacking players. And Gandijo, I think, did a really, really good job defensively, receiving the ball with two or three men around him. He he turned, he kept it, he you know defended well. Uh, he's a 24-year-old, but he's only been in the top flight in Colombia for one year. He was a national youth product and then spent uh, a couple of years in the second division, but has really made a name from very, very quickly. And I think he's really one to watch in this year's tournament. Junior, it'll be very interesting to see how they do in the group stage because... They've got through the qualifying. Um, you know, it's been fairly tight. This was one of the tougher opponents they could have faced in the in the qualifying rounds. But they have a lot of possession higher up the field. I think uh, I think they could really benefit from uh, Alves coming in for Ruiz. Ruiz is bustling and and, and puts in a shift and, and disrupts the opposition. But you know, having so much possession around the box, they really need someone who's smart and who's sharp and makes those quick darting runs because as a number nine. If your midfielders, the likes of Teofilo Gutierrez and Chara, who are smart players, have the ball on the, the penalty area, you should be making a, a run to the left. Don't get it, OK? Drop back in, run to the right, and I'm going to get the through ball. And Ruiz is a little bit static. I just think one really sharp striker, and, and there's plenty of goals there. But we'll see how things go, because in the group stage, you're going to face teams who are also good in possession. And, you know, how will they deal with that? Trying to have a lot of possession high up the field, are they going to get caught out? So I think there's a lot of questions to ask. But so far, for me, Junior have been one of the more impressive sides in qualifying. And I think they have a lot of quality and you can kind of see a 
merging a, a decent game plan, albeit attacking full pack, uh, attack, you know, forwards, uh, can potentially leave exposed in the middle. So we'll see how it goes. It's going to be interesting. They're going to play some good football, but I do worry they might get caught out in the group stage uh, against some more higher quality opposition. Yes, I mean, I watched this one too. Um, I had high hopes for this match. I had high hopes for this tie, especially after seeing Guarani in the, the first playoff round that they played. I know it was just Caro Bobo, but I thought that Guarani were going to be able to, to come and, and play a little bit of football, and it just didn't really feel like they did that over either of the legs. Okay, I, I get the mindset in the first leg. You're on the road. You want to try to, to limit the, the damages, but then in this second leg, it, it just felt like they didn't have what it took to really ask questions of Junior. Uh, Bogarin, the young midfielder, really impressed me uh, against Caro Bobo. He was, he was a player that I wanted to have my eyes on, and I just didn't see all that much from him him or really anybody else for the pot of Hawaiian side in this match. Um, credit to Junior. They did enough to get through. Uh, as you said, Simon, they had one of the toughest kind of paths through this playoff round that you could have, and they got through it. Uh, it doesn't get any easier for them, though, because they, they slide into that very difficult group eight. They will be tested, but I also think that Junior is a side that is good enough to test the teams that are in there. You know, they can give Boca Juniors problems. They can give Palmeiras issues. Um, and that I think for me, the most intriguing group out of the eight because of those three teams and because of the expectation and the talent present in all three of them. So uh, this match itself was disappointing and a bit dull, but I think Junior getting through will will mean that we've got some pretty good matches coming up in the group stage. Yeah, there's certainly a lot to look forward to in the group stages. Let's move on to what is basically a part two of this uh, Copa Libertadores podcast because... This year, we're doing something slightly different for you guys because this year we've decided to put our group by group, team by team preview on the website in written form rather than in podcast form. Makes it that little bit handier for our listeners and for the followers of World Football Index. What we do for this podcast is just sort of kind of sum up some of the highlights we, we believe going to come up in this competition this year. Um, so I have a few questions. What I'll do is I'll come round the virtual table and just ask you a selection of them. Austin, I'll come to you first. Uh, which group excites you most in this Libertadores, would you say? Yeah, I kind of touched on it there in talking about Junior. I think it's Group 8. You've got three incredibly talented teams with Boca Juniors, probably the best team in Argentina, Palmeiras, one of the most talented teams in Brazil, and then Junior, one of the most talented teams in Colombia. And the collection of talent in those three teams is just phenomenal. I feel a bit for Alianza Lima, the Peruvian side who are in this group, because I don't envision them doing all that much. But they could end up playing a huge role in this group, because if Alianza Lima can even just get a point against anybody, that could be the difference in who ends up getting out of this group or even who ends up winning this group compared to second and, and you know the advantages in the draw that could come with that. So group eight is is definitely the group that catches my eye the most. There's a lot of good groups. Um, obviously, as a Palmetas fan, I, I'm naturally gravitating towards that group. But I think even for the neutral, that group has the most talent in it and I think should play out in pretty exciting fashion. Yeah, Austin, I have to agree with you there. I, I think this group has the most talent in it. I think it's kind of a bit half and half. Like, half the groups really excite me, and the other half, not so much. The one, um, Group 5, which features Universidad de Chile, Cruzeiro, Racing, and Vasco da Cama. For me, that looks like the other group, which 
can certainly have have plenty of attacking football in it, and there's certainly a lot of talent there to to look out for. Even even on the Chilean side, I'm not. You know, we were speaking um, pre-pod. I'm not particularly optimistic about Universidad de Chile's chances in this group because I don't think their defence is good enough. But playmaker Jefferson Soltero, you know, one of the WFI's favourite players over the last couple of years. Lovely little playmaker, brilliant dribbler of the ball with some great vision. This is his time to shine, really, in this competition. So, so if he makes low click, then they could, they could be a good side to watch um, in this group as well. But yeah, like I said, I, I don't trust their defence. And it looks to me like the other three sides in this group, their attacks are kind of set up to to blow that little defence away, really. So I'm, I'm kind of bracing myself that they could end up getting a few hidings, especially on the road, given Chilean form in this competition over the last uh, few years as well, which has been pretty poor. Tom, I know that you're also looking forward to this group, no? Yeah, I think if you had to put the group of death tag on on any of them, it, it could well be this. I don't think any of the sides are necessarily contenders for uh, the, the title, but that, like you said, they're all attacking, interesting teams. They all seem to have like one standout attacking player that I'm I'm really keen to watch. I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto you know the the players we're looking forward to later as well. But um, obviously, from an from an Argentinian point of view, I think Racing could be a really interesting side to watch because um, they've just got a new manager in uh, Eduardo Gaudet. And he's going to play some high-intensity, high-pressing, attacking football. His Rosario Central side a couple of years ago was, you know, along with Atletico Nacional, my, my favourite side in the 2016 Lippard Stories. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can achieve there at Racing this year. Yeah, he's already picked up some good results in, in the league and he's starting to get some goals back into the team, which is definitely where where their strengths lie, but they've got a couple of good uh, youngish fullbacks. Yeah, they, they've just got some some decent characters and that atmosphere um, at the Cilindro is, can be really good on a Libertadores night. So I think that's going to be fun. And I'm, I'm also you know in, intrigued to see what Cruzeiro and Vasco to, uh, can do. So yeah, I think I think that's that's a good one. I'll, I'll, I'll not steal anyone else's picks now and, and let someone else say what group they're after. <laughs> Freddie? You've been quiet for a while, so I'll come to you now. Um, is, is, is there a group that you're particularly looking forward to, perhaps from an Andean perspective? Uh, absolutely. I'm really uh, sort of looking at these today, and I was thinking Group 6, as with Santos Estudiantes, Real Gasilaso in Nacional. These are the four. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't say uh, um, Real Garcilaso would have a chance against these three teams normally but they are in Cusco and like we've been discussing they have the altitude factor and I am biased because of the time I've spent in Peru and as was mentioned Alianza Lima have absolutely no chance of even getting a win in Group 8 so I think that uh, Real Garcilaso represents Peru's best chance for the team in the round of 16 especially as their two other teams were knocked out in the playoffs I'm excited to see a lot of these teams in action as we've been talking Talking about Nacional in the playoffs, sort of grinding their way through, and I think they've got a good chance of doing the same in this group. But I'm really excited to see um, what sort of spanners in the works the Real Garcia Lasso are able to throw 
at these teams when they play in Cusco, which, as we know, very high off the ground. But that group um, really excites me because I really couldn't call it. And uh, I think we were saying earlier, it is one of the more difficult ones to say exactly who is the strongest team in that, um, considering um, the atmosphere in Cusco. Very excited as well to see a group eight because of what you said, the talent involved. It really is something special. And I am absolutely gutted that Alianza, because Peruvian teams famously underperforming in a couple of Bertadores is constantly not doing anything. And so uh, it's n- not going to change this year with Alianza. Real Garcilaso, however, they have um, their sort of only 10 years old, that club, as we were saying, and they got this. Uh, sort of um, 10, uh, I think it was five years ago, they made the quarters just sort of four years into their existence. And Alfredo Ramua is a Argentinian playmaker who used to play um, for um, Real Garcilaso back in that day. He's came back last year and it's no coincidence, I think, that that has coincided with their return to form, finishing a runners-up in the Peruvian League last year year and so they're back in the couple of Vertidores and so with him and his experience of getting them to the quarterfinals maybe they could get to the knockout stages again so excited to see that I just hope it's competitive from a Peruvian side they need a team in the next round and finally Simon do you have any hot takes from your perspective <laughs> yeah well there's there's a couple I've been looking at and one of them hasn't been mentioned I quite like the look of group four which is River Plate, Emelec, Flamengo, and everyone's favourite, Santa Fe. Obviously, I think River Plate and Flamengo are a step above in terms of quality. It'd be interesting to get the perspective of uh, Austin and Tom and what, what their thoughts are. But River Plate, with a bit of a Colombian connection with Quintero there now, Juan Fernando Quintero, one of the great attacking midfielders, doesn't always show his true level, but a player with insane quality. Uh Everyone's favourite goalkeeper, Franco Armani, desperately trying to win his place at the, the World Cup with Argentina, or if not, then Colombia as a plan B. Um, so, Rafael Santos Borre, another Colombian forward for River Plate, who, I, who I'm interested to see what he can do. Uh, Flamengo with a load of interesting talent. And then I think Emelec and Santa Fe might be the two perfect teams to completely ruin it for those <laughs> superior Brazilian and Argentine opposition. So, I'm quite interested to see if, for example, River Plate go up against Santa Fe dominate possession, pinging it all over the place and Santa Fe just ping it out to the wing, right wing Anderson Plata running at the fullback gets into the box, Morelos scores 1-0 win <laughs> you know, I think that group's going to be interesting because I think there's two clear, you know, giant superior teams but I think the two other opposi- opposition sides in the group the Ecuadorians and the Colombians are well suited to maybe for a spanner in the works for the, for the Brazilians and Argentines Unfortunately, Adam, something to note with that group is one of what could have been the most attractive fixture of the group stage. Flamengo hosting River Plate in Rio is going to be played behind closed doors because Flamengo are serving a a punishment for some crowd incidents that they had in last year's Copa Sulamericana. So that match actually opens that group next Wednesday night. It'll be played at the Engine Yaun, which is both a Fogo Stadium in Rio rather than the Maracanã or the smaller Ilha do Urubu which had some light issues. Uh, one of the light towers actually fell onto the pitch during a storm recently. But Flamengo are serving that con level punishment, so they have to play that match behind closed doors. And that's just a real shame because, man, that would have been one of the atmospheres of the tournament. It's, it's really a shame that we don't get to see that. But I do agree with Simon. This group four is very interesting because you do have those two giants, and then you have those two teams that can absolutely throw a wrench in those two giants' plans. And, and fair 
failure again in the group stage for Full Mango or even just this time for River Plate would be detrimental certainly to them. One thing to note about River as well is that they're, they're really not going through any decent form at the moment. They're, they're playing quite badly. They're, they're doing poorly in the league. They kind of failed to re, uh, replace Alario and Driussi last summer. And um, they kind of had a very poor end of 2017. And they're really struggling to get going. Obviously, they've brought in those big names of Lucas Prato, uh, Armani, Quindero. And in on paper, you think that they're a team that could grow into the tournament. But they're definitely, right now, not at their best moment. And if they don't get off to a good start, then I definitely can can see Emelec, Santa Fe, if, if those guys are, are performing at their highest level, you know, taking points off River and, and obviously Flamengo have, have struggled in group stages before. So I think that even though they're two of probably the biggest teams in the tournament, you've got a, a real opportunity there if, if you can take it to some, take some points off them and, and make this group a lot tighter than you might think of it on on the surface. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is going to be great as well. And, and, a, and a quick little word for Group 7 as well with Independiente, Corinthians and Millonarios. So I think that's going to be pretty exciting um, with some with some good players to watch out for and some pretty huge, huge teams as well. So, yeah, it's going to, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it now. Tom, I, I noticed you left out Deportivo Lara from that Group 7 mentioned there. You're not buying the Venezuelans this year? Um, <laughs> I think they're going to struggle. Um, I don't know a lot about them. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to claim I'm any expert on, on Venezuelan club football. Um, so I think they are probably going to finish bottom of the group. That's my hot take on, on Group 7. Okay, a brave prediction there from Tom Robinson. Um, okay, we'll move on um, to the next question, which is, which matches will you be clearing your schedule for? There's quite a few standout games in the in the first week. I'm obviously very excited to be going to Colo Colo, Atletico Nacional, um, in Santiago next week. Uh, I'll hopefully bring you a decent report from that game um, on on next week's pod. But also that night and at the same time is Racing against Cruzeiro, which which also looks uh, a really enticing matchup. And then the following night, you got Millonarios against Corinthians, uh, and and Flamengo against River Plate. So, yeah, there's there's certainly those four kind of stand out in, in just the first week of fixtures. I think Austin, you're possibly looking forward to another one as well, no? I am. Yeah, it's a little bit further down the line, um, but Corinthians Independiente are. Two ties, both the one that will be played in Sao Paulo and, and the one in Buenos Aires, are two matches that I'm absolutely excited for. Just because of the support that both of those clubs get. You know, Corinthians have probably the second biggest fan base in Brazil outside of Flamengo. We've seen the passion from the Independiente supporters on display in last year's Copa Sulamericana. So I, I can't necessarily give an, an, an endorsement of the football that will be played, particularly the style that Corinthians currently play with Fabio Carilli, but I can't. I can guarantee you both of those atmospheres will be fantastic. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Corinthians are probably going to be paying Conmebol fines for having flares in the stadium. Big occasion. They'll bring the flares. They'll get fined for it. It'll be wonderful atmospheres for both of those matches. So those are two that I'm definitely looking forward to. And then, you know, we've talked about altitude a lot on on this podcast. Anytime anybody goes to altitude, I'm always intrigued. You know, we've got three great candidates of high, high altitude 
altitudes this year. Two La Paz teams in the strongest in Bolivar and Garcia Lasso as well. In particular, I think Santos' first match at Real Garcia Lasso is kind of an under-the-radar one. I think Santos will really struggle in the altitude. They struggled against the strongest at altitude last year. Um and they're not as good as they have been in years past. So that's kind of one under the radar that I've got circled for next week. Uh, you know, this this is a, a competition that's chock full of, of really exciting fixtures. But Corinthians Independiente, I think, is the one that, that piques my interest the most. Austin, I can't believe you didn't go for Boca Palmeiras. Uh, Tom, I set him up with a beautiful 30-yard chip pass. And then he <laughs> absolutely blasts it over the bar by talking about a completely different game. <laughs> I think we'll still put him on target. Look, Palmeiras Boca is going to be great, but I don't know. I, I'm excited for Corinthians Independiente too. No, Look, I, I agree. I, I, I could cover more than one team, guys. I agree. I agree. Um, I think Independiente Corinthians is going to be a really good game, but Boca Palmeiras for me is is a, I think a really standout fixture because Boca, out of all the Argentinian sides, are definitely the best. Um, they're smashing the league and they've just got such a strong team. Now Tevez has come back. I don't know if that's necessarily going to work out so well. I think it actually might direct, uh, disrupt their, their team spirit and their and the collective and kind of focus too much on the individual. Um, but you've got to look at Boca and Palmeiras as two of the contenders for the title. So I think that's going to be that's going to be good. And, and also on probably the, the more under the radar, then all of Atletico Tucumán's home game games are going to be fun they put in a great atmosphere last year and I think they're just going to be happy to be there and, and they've got an interesting group that they could maybe surprise some people in um, I think Peñarol might might do better than recent years and and they've got a bit more about them with um, some old favorites in that side like Maxi Rodriguez and Cebolla Rodriguez so so yeah I think Peñarol even though they've been terrible in in recent years gone by and, and always kind of failed to make it out of the group stage and it's always a big disappointment I think uh, they could actually be a bit more interesting to watch. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, I think uh, Commodore agree with you there as well about Palmeiras Boca being a standout fixture. To put that as a standalone tie um, on the 11th of April, that's the only game in that match week, um, which is a little bit strange considering every other match week has between somewhere between 10 and 13 matches. Like next week, for example, the, the opening round of fixtures, we've got 13 matches to cover on the pod next week, so expect a bumper episode. Simon, is there any, is there any matches um, that have caught your eye? Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I think um, Junior up against Boca Juniors and Palmeiras will be very interesting. Again, all, you know, Junior look to keep possession high and, and move the ball around the box um, Palmeiras and Boca are going to be also looking to have a lot of possession so I think it'll be very very interesting it could be a kind of tight tactical you know possession based game or it could be a bit wild and end to end so it'll be really interesting to see how Junior who probably on paper are the most talented Colombian side um, going up against those you know giants and potential uh, title challengers also be fascinating to see how Nacional do in, in, in that group it's a bit of a strange group uh, with Bolivar, Colo Colo and Delfin. I know very, very little about Delfin from Ecuador. Um, let's see if they have pacey athletic wingers and, and play direct football so I can lean on some cliches, but I'm interested to find out more about them. Bolivar, obviously Bolivian, so that'll be an interesting narrative as well. See how that unravels. And Colo Colo, who, uh, as we remember back, my taxi driver assured me are going to be real standout stars in this tournament, um, despite 
your pessimism. I've been assured Colo Colo are the ones to watch. So I'm going to look forward to that. And that's now who, who knows? I mean, I think on paper, they're probably one of the favourites from that group. It's a, not the strongest group, a bit of a mixed group. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. They've, they've brought in a lot of good players. They've got Almiron, the, the manager from Lanús from last year. And they've brought a lot of talent. Vladimir Hernandez is interesting to see. Uh, Zuniga, the, the Colombian internationals, come in. So there's lots of talent, but there's a lot of questions as to whether they can put all that in place and, and combine Vladimir Hernandez with Magnelli Torres, you know, kind of get the best out of Dino Moreno. Loads and loads of questions for Nacional. So I think that group is intriguing, if not the, the highest in quality. Yeah, well, Colo Colo are a talented side, but the talent is old, not young. That's, that's, my, that's the issue I have with your taxi driver. Anyway, finally, Freddie... Any any um, any games which you're particularly looking forward to here? Yeah, I'm going to stay with Group 6 as well, my favourite group, and uh, just alluded to you there by Simon. I'll be clearing my calendar for the 24th of May, which is actually my sister's birthday, where I'll be watching Santos versus Real Garcilaso and Estudiantes versus Nacional, because I think that group is going to come down to the very last day. And it's going to be still very interesting at that time, and I want to see them both... Uh, sort of dual screen because I do not think anything's going to be decided by the 24th of May um, for that one so everything's going to be up in there they're all going to be tied on 12 points or something crazy um, so I'll be watching those two at the same time um, and messaging my sister a happy birthday some brave predictions there um, okay just for a bit of light humour is there is there any games that you were, you won't mind missing in, in this competition. Freddie, I'll come straight back to you on this. Yeah, well, after what I've witnessed and the shame of it all of seeing Vasco da Gama get through um, against the mighty Wilstermen um, after their heroic performance, it was a disgrace that they should have just let them win on penalties after such a comeback. So I will be avoiding every Vasco da Gama game. So to be honest, half of Group 5 is just a write-off for me. Um, not interested. Uh, Vasco da Gama dead to me the opening match of this Libertadores are you are you going to be sitting down to watch that one Austin no uh, group one has not existed to me I want nothing to do with group one uh Seto Porteño a Paraguay inside who don't play particularly interesting football defensive sporting a Uruguay inside with a lot of young players we've seen this story in the past it doesn't end well and Monagas, a Venezuelan team, joining Gremio, the defending champions, who are still kind of slumbering after their title last year. Yes, they won the Recopa Sudamericana. Yes, give them some credit for that. But that has kind of just bought them a little bit of time. Gremio could probably play the reserve side that they played so often in last year's Brasilia round. And I think they might still be able to get through this group. So I have, I want nothing to do with all of Group 1. That's not just... Just one match, Adam. That's all those matches. I don't, I don't want to watch any of it. And Simon? Yeah, I mean, while I was saying some positive things about Group 4, I think MLX Santa Fe is going to be a really important game and also really quite rubbish. So I don't think that's going to be the best game. I think those teams are going to put in some heroic, interesting performances on occasions against River Plate and Flamengo, but I think they're going to be so aware that whoever picks up those points when they go head-to-head is going to be the one in contention, whoever doesn't, is going to be bottom of the group. So I think that that game might be a little bit nervy. Um, and I think without that, the strong opponent 
determined to kind of dominate possession. I think they're going to both be attempting to counterattack each other, and I think it might be a bit rubbish. So, um, as all the nice things I've said, fairly nice things I've said about Santa Fe, I think that game against Emelec might not be the best. Although, you know, might have some direct wing play, at least, which I can I can comment on. But, yeah, I don't think that's going to be the highest quality game in that in that group, which I think might be fairly interesting in general. And Tom, is there any games that you're definitely not going to be staying up for? Well, I think um, Estudiantes Nacional, even though they're two interesting sides, I don't think it's going to be um, much of a spectacle, especially for people who like goals. So even though they're quite high-profile teams, I think that'll be one to avoid. I don't think Estudiantes are going to do too much to, to capture the hearts and minds of people. And, and just to continue with my flagrant disregard for Deportivo Lara. I'm going to probably miss most of their games. Um, I know I might end up annoying some of their fans, but it seems like they were only founded in 2009. So uh, I'm going to take that risk. Simon, in the past, you've you've gotten the short end of that straw with having to watch your fair share of Venezuelan teams. Do you have any advice for for someone who's going to pick up a Deportivo Lara or or a Monogas match at any point in this competition? Yeah, I mean, have very low expectations. Um, and and enjoy them for what they are. So in the past, watching some of the Venezuelan sides, they've been a little bit disorganized and a bit shambolic at times, but there's been one or two star players, whether they be veterans who can still ping a pass or, or a young, undiscovered relative talent. Um, I quite like the goal net. Some of the stadiums are pretty. And yeah, just my, my top tip is low expectations and get behind them. Think of it as a an FA Cup fifth round tie of a League Two side up against a Premier League side and, and get behind the the League Two side and, and wish them the best. Yeah, and, and just from my perspective on this, any game featuring Nacional of Uruguay is is one I'm going to avoid. I've already caught a, a little bit of their matches in these qualifying rounds. They've already bored me to tears. Group 6 getting a lot of hate here. Getting yeah. a lot of hate. I've <laughs> you know, sticking up for it for half an hour now. It's you know just been rinsed by two of you. This is this is going to be the group, I promise. You're okay. in, At the end of May, you're going to look back and feel so silly when they're... The goals have been flying in. Adam, you do you do have to qualify your statement. Nacional may be boring, but if there is a chance of them getting eliminated, you do have to tune in because you don't know what's going to happen in the last 15 minutes, right? If you like UFC, then they're a great team. <laughs> yeah, very true. If it, I, I will probably make sure I tune in to see their elimination, which I've got a feeling could well come in the group stage, even though they're... They've been handed a fairly kind group compared to some of the other qualifiers. Okay, and I think we'll finish off by talking about some of the players that we're most looking forward to watching. I mentioned earlier Jefferson Soldado for um, for Universidad de Chile. He's definitely one to watch. And another one on that Lahu side is uh, is a 18 year old striker, which is just made his breakthrough here in Chile in the last few months and that's Nicolas Guerra and from what I've seen of him so far in 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 2018 he looks to have gone to that next level already so there's there's a bit of a buzz about him in Chile at the moment so a young promising Chilean striker coming through and so um, hopefully he can make an impact on this Libertadores and then from Colo Colo you have players such as uh, Jorge Valdivia, for example, who can light up a match with his playmaking. Um, so hopefully he can provide some fun moments. 
and you know, away from Chile, it's unusual to say in a tournament that you're looking forward to seeing a goalkeeper. But, you know, as this is the World Football Index and we have a lot of love for him, Wilker Farinas um, of Millionarios, he's obviously one that we're going to be keeping a keen eye on in this competition. And Lautaro Martinez as well for Racing. They're in the same group as Lou, so I'm going to see plenty of him. I've, I've liked the look of him since those under-20 South American championships at the start of last year. It's great to see just how much he's kicked on since then. And this is probably going to be his only Libertadores, well, his only Libertadores for probably um, quite a long time as as I've got a feeling he's going to be a hit over there in Europe. Um, yeah, so those are the ones which come to mind straight away for me. Simon, is there is there any players from Colombia that we should be looking out for? I imagine you've got quite a long list. Yeah, there are a few. I mean, in terms of outside of Colombia, River Plate, I'm looking forward to Inquindero, see if he can secure him starting place in the, the River Plate side because he's always a, a lovely player to watch. The same be curiosity to see how uh, Edwin Cardona does in, in Boca. I don't see that much Argentine league football. So those two are very good, talented, technical Colombian uh, attacking midfielders, creative midfielders who I'm looking forward to seeing in the tournament. In terms of the Colombian sides, Vladimir Hernandez today scored, if you remember back to Euro 96, that, that, that scoop from Karol Boborski. He scored one of those today. It was it was amazing. So he's one to watch. I was shocked and disappointed to see that Jonathan Copete um, was starting more regularly in Brazil ahead of Vladimir Hernandez because I think Hernandez is a much more interesting technical player. So he's going to be important for Nacional and giving them something extra, which they really lacked last year in an you know, attacking midfield role, creative role alongside uh, Magnelli Torres. Uh, Santa Fe, Anderson Plata, we've mentioned, is is the stand-up man, man for them. Really skillful, pacey, direct winger who is going to be key for their counter-attacking football. And he'll put some, on the, some crosses on the plate for Morello, who's been finishing well so far. Millonarios, Will Cafarinos, of course, the, the incredible teenage. I think he's 20 now, just just 20. A very young goalkeeper. Um in a in a good solid experience side. So I think they'll be competitive in a in an interesting strong group with Corinthians and Independiente and then Junior Cantillo I'm a big fan um, again they've got all of these stars they've got Jimmy Tiara who's really interesting on his day Teofilo Gutierrez who's a classy player but Cantillo is going to have a big big role for them and if they do anything in this tournament uh, I think he's going to be key to that and he's going to be really standing out because he's going to be up against Lucas Lima he's going to be up against Cardona he's going to be up against a lot of talented attacking midfielders uh, in the in the base of the junior midfield and if he can do well against them I think he'll be kind of a breakout star because as I say he's 24 years old but really only just breaking onto the to the scene uh, in the Colombian top flight and one to, one to watch I think uh, for a talented junior side finally with junior if you know he's had a long term injury but he's incredibly talented uh, Jefferson Gomez who's a central defender um, on the verge of a move to Italy for the last four years. Uh, he's still at very early 20s, 21, 22 years old. Um, highly rated, very, very quick, very good on the ball. Terrible timing of an injury. Finally got his move up from Envigado to Junior. Started very, very well. Looked set to move on to Europe and then picked up a really bad injury. So once he gets back into the swing of things, I think he might make a few stand-up performances because he's a really pacey, classy, all-round 
you know, very good, experienced, young defender. He's had a lot of games behind him, so one to watch as well moving forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to Carlos Cuesta um, playing next week against Colo Colo. I, I think he's going to be one I'm going to keep my eye on in, in that match in, in, um, in Colo Colo Stadium next week. El Monumental. Um, Austin, I'll come to you next. I imagine that you've got a few Brazilians to tell us about, but outside of Brazil... Uh, maybe you can start by telling us some names that you're looking forward to watching. Yeah, I think maybe the number one name is not necessarily a Brazilian, but somebody playing for Brazilian side, and that's Gia Hascaeta, the midfielder for Cruzeiro. Uh, he's Uruguayan, probably going to make Uruguay's World Cup squad. Um, he just renewed his contract with Cruzeiro. Uh, but that was mainly done because they expect him to be gone after the World Cup. They expect him to perform well there, and, and that will necessitate a move for him to Europe. Uh, if that is the case, then I'm going to enjoy watching him for these final couple of months that he's with Cruzeiro. I think he's part of that really exciting talent-wise group five. You've got him in that group. You've got Lautaro Martinez, somebody we've already touched on, and Paulinho at Vasco da Gama, somebody who's really impressed us in the playoff stage. So I think there's a lot of really in- interesting young talent in that group. Marlos Moreno, who's on loan now at Flamengo after a really disastrous start in Europe. I'm very curious to see how he gets on. Very curious to see if he gets playing time for Flamengo. He's been kind of marooned to the bench in his first couple of of appearances. So, you know, can he slide into what is a really talented Flamengo side? And if he can, can he regain that form that he showed us in 2016? We know he's when he's on his day, he's really talented, but he just hasn't had that sort of opportunity um, since he, he moved to Europe. A couple other names for you. Um, Miguel Borja at Palmeiras has been in very good form to start 2018. Now the competition certainly will get more difficult for him. Can Palmeiras continue to use him as they have been using him so far this year, uh, which is, has been successfully? Lucas Lima, also now with Palmeiras, makes, makes them a very, very attractive side to watch, I think. Um, and then I think just to, to close it out, it's it's Pablo Escobar at the strongest. You know, he's now 37, but he's still one of those kind of cult heroes for South American football fans. He's been taking oh passes for Bolivia in so long. <laughs> and he's one that I definitely can't wait to see, as always. Freddie, you wanted to jump in here? Well, I think, I'm not sure. I think he might be 38. I may have got that wrong. But... Ah, I cut him short. Cut him short. Sorry about that, Pablo. 38, 38. I'd probably uh, go in on this. I think. Um... Okay, so there's been a lot of hype around a few players that I'm very interested to see has not really picked up on them so far. One of those, and this is a group that's got a lot of hate, Group 1, I am very interested in seeing uh, all the fuss about this sort of fellow who looks like he's completing this move to uh, Barcelona. I'm not sure, is that going to interfere with his Copa Libertadores career this year? Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. (sighs) Pulled the assignment there. Sorry, guys. Um, Let me respond to that. No, it, it looks as though he's going to be at Gremio until 2019. Uh, that was right. kind of part of the deal for them, is that they wanted him to be around so that he could take part in this Copa Libertadores. And that, that looks to be the case. And yeah, he, as you said, he's certainly somebody who, who impressed last year. And with another year of experience under his belt, absolutely someone I'm excited to watch, he, too. If there's one reason I get involved in Group 1, that'd be it. I just really want to see what all the fuss is about. I will also be written on Pablo Escobar and also uh, doing some research today on this Real Gasolazo. Gasolazo. See, I'm also 
continue with my Group 6 theme. Uh, they have just signed uh, Diego Mayora, who is must be the biggest player in the Copa Libertadores. He's an absolute huge, massive tank of a man. Replace El Tanqui, maybe. He's been signed to score some goals. He's been improved scoring goals before for um, Union Comercio. Um, and then he's was there um, in 2016, kind of been hopping around clubs. But he scored 19 goals back then in just 24 starts. So he's kind of been brought in. And he already has two and three this season. I look this guy up he is just a beast and people are going to struggle with him they're going to struggle with him they're going to struggle with the altitude and on that you're bigging up Paulinho just just now with uh, Vasco da Gama but as we've found out he, he cannot cut it on a cold night at 3,000 metres so uh, all hype for me and uh, has, has to do a little bit more to uh, so, to be fair tuning. Freddie can anybody cut it on a cold night at, at 3,000 metres <laughs> I've been here for two months now, and I go for regular mile runs, and I'm doing just fine. So if that's going to go, I want to get in touch. If they get any Andean matches, then I am ready. I've got a free April. It's just saying. But yeah, they're, they're, they'll be the players I'll be picking up. Just very interested to see Artur and see what all the fuss is about. As with Vinicius Jr., quite intrigued there. Just a real good chance to see these players playing on a big stage uh, with quality streaming. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at pictures of uh, Diego Mayora now. And yeah, he's big. He, he, he does look like a player who... Doesn't have a neck. <laughs> he looks like the kind of player I love watching in this competition. It's basically, yeah. it's basically Eddie Zenteno, but as a forward, yeah, isn't it? Bigger. He, he looks yeah. very similar, and uh, really? in, in physique. But yeah, just as a forward, I, I think I think we may have a new hero for the pod. Yeah, I hope so. Because I hope that you know, I do hope that that is an exciting group, and I hope it has its stars, and I hope this couple of Bertadores has its sort of cult heroes, and I really think he could be one of them because. Everything says that when he comes up against better teams, he is going to be absolutely useless. Like when sort of cults get created around just these kind of larger than life characters as he is actually larger than life. But I just hope he manages to get a few goals and actually is um, a real goal scorer and a real threat in this competition. Adam, that's part of what I love about this competition is this guy, Diego Mayora, you know, could potentially share the pitch with a guy in our tour who, you know, is going to play for Barcelona for the next 15 years, exactly. probably, and just dominated the midfield. They have no business being on the same pitch anywhere in the footballing world. Yet here <laughs> we are in the Copa Libertadores, and that's exactly where they're at. And it's just such a fascinating experience because it is that blend of complete class with just this guy who kind of waddles around and can poke goals home. And it's like, no, nah, man, they're in the same tournament. It's great. He's, I've just seen that he's 26. He looks 36. And another amazing thing about him, I think he's named after Maradona because his full name is Diego Armando. He looks a little bit like Maradona 20 years after he retired. Yeah, so. indeed. Hopefully we have ourselves a new hero for the pod. Right, uh, and finally, I'll come over to Tom if you're still awake. Sorry, I kind of forgot about you there. Is there a player that you're most looking forward to watching? Feels like Simon's tweet all over again. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been uh, slowly crossing off uh, the players that you guys have been been mentioning. Um, they, they were pretty much all on my, my list as well. I think it's, I think you've kind of got like the three tiers of, of players to, to watch. You've kind of got the, the returning heroes like... Carlos Tevez um, and you know maybe people who didn't quite cut it in Europe and are back for a, a bit of a confidence boost like Gabigol like Juan Fernando Quintero 
Um, yeah, I, I definitely echo Simon's sentiments there. I think him at River is going to be amazing because on his day, he's probably one of the best players on the continent uh, still playing there. Um, and then you've kind of got the, the young players that you, you're looking forward to getting a chance of watching before they go off. Again, Lautaro Martinez is 100% the the best Argentinian talent right now that's, that's still playing um, in Argentina. And I think it's going to be great to watch him uh, play in that really exciting group. Um, he's he's in great form. He, I think he's got about 7 in 10 or something like that in, in the league so far this this season. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what he can do as a, as a nice little sign-off. Same with Artur. Um, I, can, I can let Freddie know that the hype is definitely justified. He's a, a pretty pretty great player, and Farinha is uh, in, in goal for uh, Millonarios. So they're they're some of the young young kids I'm looking forward to. Uh, De Arascaeta is great. Nandez at Bocas, another Uruguayan uh, who's who's very worth watching and um, someone who's probably going to make it into the World Cup squad. And on that theme of kind of cult heroes, I think we we can't forget. Um, Luis Pulgar Rodriguez from Atletico Tucumán. He's um, for many years he was known as like the Messi of of the Argentinian second division. He's he's about five foot five or something like that. He's early thirties. Doesn't really look like your traditional player, but he's he's, he's a bit of a club hero. He's, he stayed there pretty much all his career and, and got over a hundred goals for them. And I think he did pretty well in the Sudamericana last year as well. So. Um, for Tucumán as a uh, as a hipster's choice, Pulgar Rodriguez is definitely the player to watch out for. So yeah, loads and loads of players, and I'm sure there'll be others that we're uh, going to be seeing for the first time as well. Yeah, when I was reading your preview on Tucumán and you picked out the key player Pulgar Rodriguez as your um, as as your one to watch, I re- <laughs> it really kind of made me think that he was kind of an Argentinian Wes Houlihan the way you talked about him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to keeping an eye on, on him. Where's Hula? Once a fantasy legend, him. Absolutely. <laughs> Lots what of a, time for Hula. And... One of my favourite players ever, as uh, long-term listeners of WFI have probably realised by now. One quick thing. Yeah. Can I get in here? One thing that I found really interesting with what Tom said is, is Artur is a, is a really interesting player because he kind of burst onto the scene last year out of nowhere. And so there's part of you that kind of wants to watch him again and be like, was that actually real? And I feel like there's a couple of players that are kind of in that position where, you know, they've had a good six months or 12 months, but you want to see them do it consistently at this type of level. And one of those who I failed to mention when I was talking is Gabby Gol at Santos, who, who went to Europe and just, made the wrong move at the wrong time to the wrong club. Couldn't stick with Inter Milan, didn't get any matches at Benfica, but now is back with Santos and is scoring. And so he's somebody who's looking to kind of build himself back up by coming back to South America to play in the Libertadores for the first time. So I think those storylines are really, really interesting as well to those players who really have something to prove, whether that's consistency, whether that's a failed stint elsewhere. Um, so he's definitely one that, that I'll have my eyes on too. Okay, yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, I think that wraps us up for, for this episode and I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. Before we go, I think it's best that I come round the virtual table once again and just ask you guys if you have anything to plug, including your Twitter handles, of course. Uh, Tom, as you need to get off to bed, what's yours? My uh, Twitter handle, um, listen up, Simon, is <laughs> at TomRobo89, and you can follow everything uh, that I'm doing over there. There's um, scouting spotlight pods. We've um, finally got the Ed Militao one up, so... That, that's a good one to listen, if, especially if you like terrible 
Bowl puns and there's we've already got a couple more of those recorded so look out for them and I'm also doing a few player analysis for ESDF analysis um, so yeah lots of stuff going on um, after a, after a quiet Christmas it's uh, it's ramping up again and I'll come to you Freddie next yep you can find me at frederickjc1 and if you are, are following my feed over the next few days you'll see a sort of in-depth piece uh, on William for Football London um, on sort of how he's always there when needed and a little bit of a fan favourite in Brazil. Simon? Uh, at Simon Edwards SAF. Uh, yeah, doing some Colombian coverage here and there. I'm trying to do everything to big up my man Jason Guzman. Watch out for him. He's been man of the match in all three of Envigado's first games. 19-year-old playmaker incredible player so i'm trying to big him up also vincent worth checking out on uh, on twitter I'll, I'll share the tweet as well he's doing an article about him uh, but very very interesting the new james rodriguez and the new juan fernando quintero uh <laughs> coming out of envigado and last but certainly not least austin miller i'm on twitter at austin underscore james 906 adam you mentioned it earlier Earlier in the podcast, we've got a big, big, big written Libertadores preview that should be out, hopefully, around the time that this podcast is out. So that has all of your nitty-gritty team profiles. We've got experts from all around the continent of all different disciplines um, covering each of these 32 teams that are in the group stage. You know, a player to watch, a young name to keep an eye on, as well as a brief overview. So be sure to check that out. Uh, it should keep you busy for quite some time with all the text that'll be in there. I know it'll keep our editors busy for quite sometime as for me as tom said we've got a couple of scouting spotlight podcasts that are out and we've got a couple that should be coming out here shortly uh felipe viseo at flamengo was profiled as well as fabricio bustos the right back independiente so keep an eye out for those uh, i am sure that we will have simon on that show soon so that we can get his thoughts on the record about this guzman fellow that he keeps talking about uh, as well, a big weekend in Brazil, Palmeiras and Corinthians, a big derby on Saturday, so I'll have coverage of that. And then, yeah, the Libertadores is off and running in full steam next Tuesday. As you said, Adam, 13 matches in this week. I think with the World Cup, things are condensed a little bit more, and that's why there's so many matches in a window. Uh, but it's going to be great. There's going to be a lot of football going on, and I'm looking forward to all of it. And Adam, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? Well, you can find me at AdamBrandon84. Just had a bit more of a Norwich week than a South American week, I think, in, in the last few days. But I suspect that would be back to it'd be back to normal service next week um, with, uh, with the Libertadores group stages underway. And also, yeah, plugging that, um, that massive uh, Copper Libertadores guide that you guys have all contributed to so a huge thanks to you and and everybody who's contributed to that and um, that preview will be up on the site as you're listening to this pod so please check it out you can also read a piece i did for skysports.com on vinicius jr certainly another player that i'm that i'm looking forward to watching in the libertadores this year player who's already showing plenty of promise in 2018 hopefully against um against more difficult opponents he he will continue to shine so i think that's all from us for this week all what's left to say is a huge thanks to the listeners to tuning in big thanks to tom simon austin and freddie for joining me on this show and it's goodbye <laughs>